of knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 228. Jason Lingren is with me, of course, and Mr. Curtis Callenback is back with us to challenge your intellect and imagination. One might ask, how the hell did I get caught in all these nets? And then you might recall uh, you came to exist on the material plane. There's your blessing. Disguised as a problem, I guess. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And a fine good morning, Crow. Beautiful day, man. Uh, It's been couple of beautiful days here. Uh, I'm watching that tropical storm go all the way up to Canada. That's a little unusual, but uh, I'm guessing we're kind of in the front again, so we don't have anything to lay down, do we? No, we don't. All right, let's do it, man. Welcome, Kurt. Glad to be back. Love you guys, man. (laughs) Uh, Here we are again, man, in the the new... I, I think it's safe to now firmly established we're in a new era i mean we're all pretty reasonably sure (laughs) that things are not going back to resemble the way they were uh from everything to everything money lord knows uh we'll just have to wait for the invisible dust to clear (laughs) um hell of a thing to watch the whole world change on a thing you can't see in your imagination but where do you want to pick up here kurt do we want to kind of drop a hint about where we're going i know this is probably your fourth time on so some people already know but this is about uh how am i going to frame this uh social contracts opt-ins i mean how do we frame this yeah i've been uh really tracking on or trying to source the root of the problem now i know what it is but i wanted to find out how they implemented it or how would they they were able to implement this thing and I believe that it actually is the social contract. When I mean the social contract, I'm talking about uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau um, when he wrote this back in 1762. So, so this social contract, it, this idea he came up with, I believe it's fully it was fully implemented in 1933 through FDR, and we can get we'll get into that. But I think the biggest problem, because you guys have so many great guests on, I just want to say this up front, that I listen to these guys, and some of these guys are so much smarter than me, it, it, it's, it's scary. But again, it's sort of one of those things that the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, but if that first step is in the wrong direction, it doesn't matter what you find along the way. So... Again, if you're dealing with things, if you're dealing with symptoms as opposed to the root cause, then to me, that's always putting a Band-Aid over melanoma. You're not at the source of the problem. And most people think we're stuck in a, in, in a world where we're, we're slaves, but we're not. No, we're not. Again, if that, people that, understand- That's a, that's if, a critical if, point. We're not. And here's, in Black's Law Fifth Edition, there's, there's a, a, a Latin phrase. It says- Res sua nemini servit. And what that means is, or what the, the definition of that is, no one can have a servitude over his own property. You can't be a servant to self. So that when you know that that's true, then how did we be, how, how did they capture us or how have we become a servant to someone else? And that's through this social contract. What people don't recognize is, is that all prop, all rights are associated with property, which directly means no property equals no rights, or shared property equals no rights. And that's what this social contract is. It's based upon shared property. And what people don't know is what is it that you're sharing with the rest of the world 
that puts you into a global trust that you become a servant to. And that's the whole thing. That's what the social contract is. It's based upon what I know to be true, which is biological. And that's kind of what I, I wanted to step in right there is that it has always been biological. And that's the property. The biology is the property or the thing, T-H-I-N-G, that is entrusted. And once we recognize what the property is, we can then remove it from the trust through our, our mind, because it's not really there. We can remove it from the trust and take control of our lives again, 100%. So again, the root of the problem is that nobody knows the root of the problem or they're not talking about it. Do we have a definition for social contract that we could use? I have Russo's book directly in front of me, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to go and I'm going to read just paragraph one out of book two, because that's the place that he starts to define what it is they're using, what, what material they're using to capture um, all or to use as a deposit, um, evidencing our participation in this global social contract. So let me just read that. And, and that's, that's the only thing I'm going to take out of this, because once we know that there is this one thing, then we can start to define the thing and show where it comes in. And then when people understand that, they can start to recapture their own property, uh, the, capture the flag of themselves. And here, so here's, here's book two. And this is the first paragraph. It's that sovereignty is unalienable. This is the first paragraph. This is the only thing I'm going to read out of here. It says, and I quote, the first and most important deduction from the principles we have so far laid down is that the general will alone can direct the state according to the object for which it was instituted, i.e. the common good. For if the clashing of particular interests made the establishment of societies necessary, the agreement of these interests made it possible. The common element in these different interests is what forms the social tie. And were there no point of agreement between them all, no society could exist. It is solely on the basis of this common interest that every society should be governed. Now, I circled common good, common element, and common interest. And then, but it says, according to the object for which the state is instituted. So the only, what I want to do right now is, is go to Webster's Online, the definition of common. I mean, if people are screaming for the common law, they better damn well know why. But I'm telling you right now, Jason, do you consider yourself common? Huh. In English or in legal terms or in some other language well, we don't well, speak. <laughs> well, Crow, let me, let me ask you. Is your DNA common? No, it's or unique. Is it unique. Yeah, it's unique. It should be unique. Yeah, absolutely. As we so, can inf we can inflect that for every living human being listening to this now. Unique, all of them. So look at the social contract that says common good, common element, and common interest. One word that is in common is common. So I'm going to go to Webster's online. I'm not going to go to any legal mumble jumbo, but it says common. Entry one says other relating to a community at large, at large, which is the public, belonging to or shared by two or more individuals or things or by all members of a group. Is, again, is your DNA 
shared by anybody. If not, it's not in common. But if it is, it's been made public. Eek, I, go ahead. I, oh, I was going to say, I think you're onto something. As soon as you get finished, I'll do the etymology for you, but it's all French. So I think you're right in the ballpark there. And by the way, before you continue, I'll point out the period of time that you're trying to connect this to. I think the name you dropped was Russo, um, which, by the way, that means red, doesn't it? But um, that's where alchemy had hit its crossroad why that part of the world had all the beautiful cathedrals and you know all that stuff got encoded into law all of it got encoded into the bible just to preface what you're about to say and i'm sorry for interrupting belonging equally to two or more mathematical entities having two or more branches occurring or appearing frequently familiar widespread general so common and general mean the same thing like general orders 100 the Libra code but I want to jump down to five says falling below ordinary standards, second rate. And finally, I'm going to jump down to number seven. Number seven says of relating to or being common stock. Yeah. So yeah, there, there again, it is. one thing about what people don't recognize is common good. Nobody knows the definition of good, whereas I do. The legal definition of good or goods is the unborn of animals. So that's, again, when people recognize what I'm talking about by the end of this, this show today, they're going to recognize that they have completely abandoned their origin. They've abandoned it. And by abandoning it, it gets picked up and placed in common subject to this social contract, which is evidenced by a document as of 1933 called the birth certificate. The certificate is evidence of your willful participa participation in this global social contract. There's a dual nature. Uh, what you've just pointed out, I can go back to the etymology from what they're claiming is the 1300s. The first etymological line they're going to lay down for is belonging to all owned or jointly used, the general public, that kind of idea. The second element is going to be the idea of Latin munia, duties, public duties, function, these kind of things. But in the same century, according to this, from the 1300s to the 14s, it becomes a disparaging thing used against women and criminals. Um, so you can see the dual use um, here when you're trying to understand common, meaning pertaining equally to you or proceeding equally from two or more, meaning usual, not exceptional, of frequent occurrence, which is the last thing you laid down. So we've gone from an idea of, you know, jointly everybody owning everything all the way down to this. You're so common that this is disparaging the way it's being used. Well, and that's the problem is that they have us believing we're all one. Now, it sounds like a nice flowery idea, but the reality is, is we're not. We're all completely unique. And by DNA, there's nobody like you anywhere on the planet. And if you choose to share publicly your DNA then you will experience this, this social contract. And again, it's not, when they start rewriting definitions that we all believe we know, like um, what's a good one, where, where they talk about you being stingy or those kinds of words, all of a sudden you start to say, no, I'm not. Well, you don't need to defend yourself because even biblically it says to love thy neighbor as thyself, which implies first a self-love, which you should do. Otherwise, as far as I'm concerned, uh, you can't love your neighbor. So anyway, 
you know, years ago, probably more than 10 now, was the first time I'd ever ended up in court. It was after I was tased for allegedly not using a turn signal, and which, has got, which is what started me on the entire uh, trespass across the body. When I asked the judge, I said, what type of court is this? He looked me right in the eye and says, this is a court of general jurisdiction, which is common. So that means it was a court where everybody was in the common public pool. I call it the cesspool. It's the common pool, and that's the public pool. Um, there's also another word that they use that they really describe differently. You can use the word public, but when you get really specific, there's the general public, which is different than the public. Again, I can walk out of my house right now as a living man and be in the public. I can ride my bike in the public. But does that mean that my, I am part of the public. No, it means I'm in the public, which is, again, another biblical principle in the world, not of the world. So if I allow a piece of me to become of the world through negligence by not knowing my godly origin, I have be part of me has become of the world. And of course, it's given a title and that title is the thing that's used through the social contract. So your, your idea being that once you recognize that you can undo the damage that apparently was done to you by yourself, <laughs> if I followed that, by your, uh, although I, I would argue by your own would, admission. Yeah. I would argue that most of it was implemented by hook or crook and very few people. Look, <laughs> look let's look at it this way. If we can say 99% of the people were fooled, I think we can call it a trap. <laughs> well, I mean, it's going to get pretty fun here real, real quick because I mean, what they did is, and I'm jumping way ahead, because, but then I'm going to backtrack just to make sure that everybody understands this. The war, the concept of a war, W-A-R. Again, when you go and if you believe you know what a war is, I, I say that you don't. Because the definition of war at Webster's, it says a struggle or competition between opposing forces or for a particular end. And that's what I'm saying right here is that if you don't know your origin, if you, you don't know the other end where you begin, if you don't know where you begin or you start somewhere in the middle, then the war is for that particular end, the part that you have failed to remember. And that's what this whole thing is about. We don't know our origin. We don't know it. And so we've elected to use a birthday which is nine months after our godly origin, which is fertilization. And that birthday is an erroneous claim. It's an abandonment of the material, the nine months in the womb all the time and the property in the womb. So I'm going to go to some really interesting ideas here um, because they're using these. Now, I sent you guys an email, and the first, the first thing that comes up is the uh, divine proportion. And when you, when you understand what the divine proportion is, basically the divine proportion is not the Fibonacci sequence. It is something entirely different. In fact, the Fibonacci sequence is one, one, two, three, five, eight, thirteen, whatever. But what Fibonacci doesn't include is the one itself. The one itself is already whole, but within its wholeness is the divine proportion. So in other words, the number one is whole. It, it implies wholeness or allness, but within the allness of the number one is the divine proportion, which is not the Fibonacci sequence. It, it, in other words, it's, it's the past, present, and future. Now, 
If you look at the divine proportion, if you look at this A, C, B line in the, uh, the email notes, the divine proportion is very simple. The divine proportion of man is origin or alpha moment fertilization to last breath. So in my case, I'm, I'm 59 years old according uh, to out of the womb. I'm actually over 60 years old from origin. So fertilization, which is the act of God, the act of creation resulting in a zygote. The zygote is a single cell which is all of my DNA property in one singular cell, all of it, all my DNA. From that single cell to last breath out of the womb, 59, 60, 85 years later, last breath is the omega moment. So if you look at this line, alpha moment, the A, represents fertilization, and B represents omega moment or last breath. Everything between A and B is called the mean time, M-E-A-N, or the means, the means to an end, the means to the end between A and B or B and A. Now, here's the thing. What does C represent? C represents an arbitrary, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, there's the problem what you've done because you can't identify. So for everyone listening, if you're going to do the divine proportion, you put a line down, the left part is A, the end part at the right is B, somewhere in the middle is C, which illustrates the divine proportion. But in the way you've just described it, you can't know the location of C until you're dead. And that's what C is. C becomes a terminal point. So A to C is a terminal point, and C to B could be an entire another line. C represents the arbitrary birth date. So again, if you look at A to C, think of that as the nine months in the womb. C is a terminal point for the time in the womb or an origin or beginning point for out of the womb. But C is arbitrary. It is the terminal point or the death of the time in the womb or a new beginning or second beginning out of the womb. But in reality, there's only one beginning and only one end, A to B. What they've done is they've created an artificial point in the divine nature of man, Mm. an arbitrary ending point from the womb at the threshold between those two worlds, the world in the womb, and the world out of the womb, the old Testament, um, in the womb, garden of Eden, new Testament, Jesus fish out of the womb. A to B is singular. It's an unbroken timeline, a lifeline. And are, life are, is unbroken from fertilization to last breath. Are you suggesting C is the birthday? And by the way, if you are suggesting that, it's another total twist to get us away from nature. Because in the way you've just described it, between A and B is the means. And you can never locate C until you're dead if you wanted to know where the divine ratio was on that lifetime. But in truth, the C is always there. It's just moving every second, right, while you're alive. It's called the present. It's the present, right, yeah. Right, It's time. So it's the only thing. So C, in a way, represents the only thing that actually exists, which is this moment. And in the time I tried to say this moment, it's already slipped by. And that's one of the elusive cruxes of our existence. But the point I would make, if you are pointing out that they're using C as the entry port of entry at the birth canal, then that is wholly artificial again and does not resemble nature because that becomes a fixed point where C should be moving down the timeline continuously until you die. Right. C would ultimately become B. (laughs) The the, the, the neat thing about this is the arbitrary point or the certificate of birth is an agreement that the idea of the birthday 
is in our head. People have no idea that it's arbitrary in nature. And by claiming it, remember the law of nature. If I claim C as my origin, I have broke the law. It's a break in the law of nature. So it is the break. It is the breaking of the law. It's the only breaking of the law. So everybody claiming a birthday and celebrating the birth has broken the law. It's the only law we break. From that point on, we submit ourselves to the social contract. By breaking that law, we have now submitted ourselves to this social contract where everybody's in agreement. What people don't really get, and this, this really gets to me, is that everybody's worried about getting some implant, some, some little piece of something, some little machine put under their skin. But I'm saying right now that the greatest implant of all time is in our head, and it's a date, a birthday, because we've all agreed that that's where we begin our lives, when in reality, we begin at fertilization. So they got us to arbitrarily agree to a man-made origin, which is actually the, what I'm going to use, a church term, or biblical term, or, or a Roman term. It is an immaculate conception. It is a perfect idea. Immaculate equals perfect. Conception equals idea. A perfect idea to capture the labor of man through a social contract, an agreement. So C becomes the certificate. Uh, or the agreement, or the origin of the social contract. Now, what's interesting about the divine proportion is there's another name for it. It's called phi, P-H-I. Now, what's, what, the reason I'm bringing this up is because of this, this ridiculous COVID coronavirus nonsense. Now, the reason I say that is because phi, if you go to the um, HHS government website, uh, Health and Human Services or whatever it is, phi, P-H-I, stands for Protected Health information, protected health information. It's a protected person. And so what I'm saying is that PHI is A to C. A to C is all the time in the womb. All the material that we have forgotten or presumably abandoned is the protected health information. That's the birth certificated aborted material. They're protecting our godly origin since we have abandoned it. So fee, PHI, is what is subject to the Health and Human Services, the federal HHS. Uh, what you don't realize is that, and we're going to get into this too, is that HIPAA, H-I-P-P-A, which is another name for, I'm going to say Asclepius, we'll get into that later, but HIPAA is right out of the story of Asclepius. So they're not hiding anything anymore. C-P-H-I is the protected health information or the person, the infant person that's being protected by the federal government. And that person is the birth certificated person. It is our godly origin. We've all abandoned God. This country became godless by claiming a birthday. Godless. I'm just looking it up. Everyone knows phi is part of the Greek alphabet, but it's described as a voiceless labiodental <laughs> protective, but it came to be in modern Greek and everything you just laid down, I'm reading the definitions and it follows along. It would be the 21st letter in the Greek alphabet, triple seven idea, but go ahead. What does the symbol of phi look like? It's a, it's a circle with a line dividing the two, the circle, right? Which is an arbitrary point between or a division, which I believe created 
It does. I, even though I say I believe it, I know it to be true. That becomes the diversity of citizenship. You got two different, you got, you got two persons born to one timeline. You have the in the womb person and the out of the womb person. And that's the diversity of citizenship. One is, one is the American born to the soil. The other is a fictitious character born to the United States. So it's kind anyway. of interesting. By the time that got Romanized, it became typically the letter F, which would be the sixth letter in our alphabet. Um, but it goes on to say in, tr in traditional Greek numerals, phi has a value of 500 or 500,000. And for the 500, they're showing the uppercase version you described as a circle split. The lowercase is slightly different, almost looks like a cursive writing. Um, then it goes up to half a million. What's interesting is Hippocrates, who is the one that gets all of the medical um, do no harm and all that stuff. He also made a statement, desperate times require desperate measures. Again, when they cut the umbilical cord, they create a measure. And what, what most people don't realize, except those in the medical industry, the baby is born, baby comes out of the womb, they cut the cord, and baby's measured by a certain standard, huh. um, a different standard. The remains, the human remains, the afterbirth, umbilical cord and extra embryonic material and some of the maternal is measured differently. It's measured metrically and the metric system is international. So you have the godly material, the, the, the womb based material measured metrically, which is international. You have the baby getting nine pounds, three ounces, which is a different standard. And those two measuring standards, they don't they can't reconnect. They don't reconnect because they're two different standards. They're two different systems. So what do they have? They have at the courtroom, they have a conversion, a point of conversion. One has to be converted to the other to make one whole. In other words, for you to get all the way back to God, it requires you an attorney to help you convert to the same system of measurement so you can reconnect with your godly origin. This stuff sounds crazy, but it's really simple when, when you understand the biology of reality. So again, desperate times, desperate times call for desperate measures. Wait a minute here. I find myself in a courtroom using the Gregorian calendar, which is arbitrary. In fact, it didn't, wasn't created until 1582 by Pope Gregory. And of course, the Gregorian calendar is what? It's the commercial calendar for commerce. That's, a, that's desperate times. And it requires desperate measures. In other words, to reconnect with your godly origin to be made whole. People have to start expanding their ideas to see the big picture. Um, the, the, the definition of measure, again, I, just, I try to use Webster's as much as possible so everybody can, can actually view this. But the, one of the definitions is a measure, a step planned or taken as a means to an end. And then it says specifically, this is right out of Webster's, a proposed legislative act. Again, 1866, the Metric Act. Most people don't realize that the United States went metric in 1866. And, and what's interesting, it says the Metric Act of 1866, also known as the Kassan Act, is a piece of United States legislation that legally protected use of the metric system in commerce from lawsuit and provided an official conversion table 
from U.S. customary units. So when we find ourselves at the port of entry to the United States, the New World, and they cut the umbilical cord and separate that material off, that's a customary unit. Customs actually takes a piece of us and places it on deposit as a security while we're in the United States. That's what they're using. The biology, our godly origin is the security. And that's what Curtis Richard Kallenbach, the birth certificated person, is evidence of my social contract while I'm in that fictitious realm. Heaven, let's call it. Let me jump in real quick on your metric system. I was unaware um, that since 1866, the Cason, the Cason, I guess Cason Act maybe uh, protected the yeah. metric system. Uh, there's a thing I almost did a show on the metric system to show that it is in fact another way to remove human beings from nature using science into that cold, surgical, precise measuring idea that has no relationship to to nature. In some of the systems we still use in the U.S., there's still a connection to to nature. We have ideas like a a furlong. Or you might see someone measure a horse in hands, and these aren't specifically relatable, but there are many examples in the non-metric system we use that show it's more quickly rooted to nature. By the time you get up to metrics, um, you've been surgically removed. Uh, it's very right. precise, and, and cold, and calculating. But what's interesting is in, even in the 19, early 1950s, the federal government, and I'll, I'll actually define federal pretty quick. But the federal government started the health education welfare system, and that is H-E-W, or to hew. And to hew, biblically in Deuteronomy, is to cut. So to hew something is to cut something. And the health education and welfare system is based upon this cut, this cut material. That's the protected infant, the protected person at the federal level, which is why I heard on a recent one of your recent shows um, what the gentlemen say that the only place you can get anything to happen is at the federal level. I'm telling you right now that you're made whole at the federal level and only at the federal level does it make any sense to go. I will never speak of state or local or any of that nonsense or even municipal because all of it implies the break or the breaking of the law, which is the certificated person. At the federal level, they have that protected person that makes you whole, which is where your equity, if, if you want to use that term equity, I don't like the term equity because equity implies a sharing or a, uh, an interest in something. As far as I'm concerned, nobody has an interest in me or my DNA from fertilization, which means I don't really want an equitable position in anything because to, to claim equity is to claim a shared um, participatory position and that's the social contract which i think is is nonsense but one last thing about 1866 is the civil rights act i'm just going to jump in on this one is the civil rights act was what came in right behind the metric act because the civil rights act the person of color that was was being fought over which is the um the civil war was for persons of color. It was not for the black man. What they were trying to do was give rights to corporations, not give equality to black people. It, the, 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 all that the civil war was over was to give rights to corporate persons. That's all it was for. And so 1866, the Civil Rights Act came in behind it. But look what it says here. It says the following of the passage of the 14th Amendment in 1868 1868 ratified the 1866 act. And um, so that's, that's what I'm getting at is here. The cut material, the, the 
uh, person of color is the biological umbilical extraembryonic and probably the placenta at this point. And we'll get into that later too. But anyway. Oh, wow. Um, now there's, there's so yeah. much. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm just going to skip by, go ahead. Keep, keep going. Okay. And, and what's interesting about this, this person is one USC eight United States code eight one us is, is person, human being, child and individual, including born alive infant. Okay, so one USC eight is is actually showing where the human being, child, individual, and born alive infant fall within the United States Code. Real quick, I'm going to go back to born alive. I didn't have this noted, but I think it's important to people to know that born alive is not born as we know it. Well, wait a um, minute. It, it, the the definition of person. It's this all seems so ridiculous. If you read a thing that says, okay, we're covering these things person, human being, child, individual. And by the way, this includes a born alive infant. Um, are we looking at the first kind of legislated foundational personhood idea here? Is that what, where we're going? Right. Here? Well, I mean, that which is included excludes all the rest. So look at that. A person, human being, child, and individual as including born alive infant. Black's Law, page 167, fifth edition, says born alive is being the product of conception after complete expulsion or extraction from the mother, irrespective of the duration of pregnancy, which breathes or shows any other evidence of life, such as beating of the heart, pulsation of the umbilical cord, or definite movement of voluntary muscles, whether or not the umbilical cord has been cut or the placenta is attached. And here it is. Each product of such birth is considered live born and fully recognized as a human person. So when they cut the cord, baby comes out as one person and that other born alive material, the afterbirth is another person. And it says being the product of conception, not fertilization, baby's the product of conception. Whereas the afterbirth material, the placenta, only the placenta is a product of conception because the only place conception now exists by definition is when the conceptus plants into the wall of the uterus of mother. That's conception. And the only the, the, the resulting product of conception is the placenta. So that means a born alive person is only the placenta, not the baby. Only. So I'll stand behind this all day so long. So if you're correct, you've showed the perversion that that introduces the idea of a person which is going to be transferred to a dead entity called a corporation. They've now legally legislated, well, whether you want to call it, they've legislated a law that says a person's the same thing as a human being, same thing as a child, same thing as an individual, um, same thing as a born alive infant. And what you're further stating is this kind of warped reasoning was used to take the living human being that had just come through the port of entry called the birth canal and demoted them while it took the placenta and the presumably mostly discarded things like the umbilicus, the call, all the things on the other side and made that the foundation for the corporation with your name on it at birth. But so I'm guessing from here, these ideas get transferred to AT&T, right? Because those are corporations. <laughs> um, so there's the perversion in it because it's perverse from the beginning to demote the living being, you know, that the godly idea that a new human life was created, that gets demoted. But this other part, which is only going to be in the world for a day or two, because even if it was kept, it would disintegrate eventually, unless frozen or eaten. 
um, that's going to get the personhood moniker and begin the corporate. I don't, I don't think you're wrong here. And the more I'm looking at it, it's almost the perversion in the logic that really makes me think it's correct. Also an interesting use of the term product. Well, and that you, you have to go into that definition too, but I don't think we have time. I'd rather, here's the deal is in nature. And I mean, in nature, strictly when, when baby comes out of mom, Baby's attached to the umbilical and the extra embryonic material, the rest of baby, this is all one DNA unit. It's only one thing. When it, when baby comes out, he's still attached to the wall of the uterus through the extra embryonic material. Baby's in the new world, but the rest of baby is in the old world. But when they cut it, when they cut that cord, baby's in both worlds. He's straddling now. Now baby's in the new world and baby, the rest of baby, the decedent property is in the old world. And you're exactly right, Crow, on this. What they do is baby gets demoted as defective, broken. Well, it creates another problem because by this line of reasoning, baby in mother, not yet through the port of entry called the birth canal, is sovereign. (laughs) So there's a sovereign living thing inside a mother who's not sovereign because presumably she was put in the same trap as baby's about to when the cord is cut. Now think about this though, if the cord was not cut because nature was allowed to run its course, what happens is is the rest of that material comes out, now it's all delivered into the new world as one unit. Eventually, three to 10 days, all of the product, everything inside the babies, the placenta, as well as the cord, it all gets drawn into baby in the present moment and eventually it withers, that material withers and falls off. Baby has been delivered whole into the new world. But when they cut the cord, they split the personality of baby. That's, it, it is a split personality. I'm talking literally split. And it is a hue, H-E-W, a cutting, which is actually uh, against the, Bible, the law of the Bible as well. Look at this, the Doctrine of Discovery, 1792. This is not new stuff. U.S. Secretary of State Thomas Jefferson declared that the doctrine of discovery would extend from Europe to the infant U.S. government. Now, a lot of people would say, well, that's, you know, 1792. That's just three years after the Constitution was written. No, infant U.S. government is one U.S.C. 8. Person, human being, child, individual, including born alive infant. That infancy That infant U.S. government is the godly portion of our existence. It's our origin. It's the origin of the species, for crying out loud. So the on deposit is our godly origin. The federal government is acting for God at this point, just so you know. So so hold on. Acting as God. So so hold on. We're going to assume that everything here is correct, which it logically is, and probably at some point will be provable beyond a doubt. That means there's an organization holding the deposit has to be yes do you know what the organization is i uh, know i i haven't even pursued that but i'm pretty certain that if somebody was working in the medical industry somebody would have come by that hospital and picked up that material and they have been picking it up for a long but, time but here's the um, thing we got a lot i got a lot of emails from registered nurses and other people who all said oh well, this is what happens to what we call the afterbirth some said it was frozen. Some said it was picked up by a biological waste. Some said they had no idea. But here's the other thing that I would suggest. In the world that we exist in, we can act like a thing that it exists doesn't exist if we have a paper that certified that it existed. 
So maybe the birth certificate's just doing it all. And the little fraudulent systems designed to hold the birth certificate are acting as the deposit. I'm just surmising logically, maybe. I 100% agree with that. In fact, I think here's what's interesting to me is that the birth certificate itself evidences all the product from the womb that we have not claimed. So Curtis Richard Kallenbach, the certificated person, is is the nine months in the womb. It's backed by a biological piece of me as probably even part of my mom, which is a maternal afterbirth, part of the placenta. The reason I say that is because when I was younger, cartoons would always show a baby being delivered by who? The stork. And what is what uniform does the stork wear? Uh, he's a post, he's got like a postal deal going on, doesn't he? So it's a post, the delivery is by post. It's a post office child. It's a post or after office child. It, so the, the certificated person is a post. It's a post for you to stand guard. So it's that person, that child is a post office delivery and it completes the delivery to us when we acknowledge it, when we know it. I believe the all caps name or the upper and lowercase live born record, whatever it is, they created a post office character or an office, an official capacity for that material. And it's mm. a vestment. It's a ecclesiastical investment, a character, an ideal character that we wear if we know how to use it. I don't know how to use it. I know what it is. And I think I know what it looks like. In my case, it looks like Curtis R. Period Kallenbach. That's what it looks like on paper, that vestment. But again, the, these are speculations, but I can, I can prove them. It's just that I don't have any help out here. I'm telling you right well, now. I'll tell you something um, that's interesting. Most people listening have no damn idea how critically, critically important the post office is in this world. And they further have no idea who's actually probably controlling it all. And they further have no idea the idea of the postmaster general, how they've been used, uh, which, by the way, Jason and I showed at one point. If the president came up missing for some reason, the postmaster general used to be in line for the presidency. Uh, I guess that's recently changed, we discovered. But my point is, is I like your reasoning, and I think there's a there there all day. And for anyone who wants to look into how big a damn deal post offices are, almost like if you remove the post office, the whole nation would just crumble to bits. Yeah, there's nothing. There's no support. I don't. I, I actually believe that the foundation, like you said earlier in the call, the foundation is that material. That's that's our full faith and credit. That's us. That's our ability to pay it, uh, now and in the future. But it's a promise to pay, and they have our DNA on deposit through the social contract that is behind or standing behind that promise. I don't think they the do, though. I think is this is part of the fraud. Let's cover it real quickly. So is there a freaking huge freezer somewhere in the world with all the what we call afterbirth that was discarded, unfortunately, as the new baby came through the birth canal? And I think you might argue that there has been or maybe still is, but I don't think you can argue that everybody's there. And so I think it becomes another idea of like property assessment where this whole you know, switcheroo thing's gone on, where none of it's legal, it's all nonsense, and they're still doing it anyhow. And I would suspect, if any of this is right on the money, that there may well be people's extra birth material that is frozen somewhere or something like that, 
but I suspect most of us, it's just a piece of paper saying this thing existed or faking like it exists because the paper documented it. Yeah, I think somebody from uh, Australia found a what was called a Guthrie card, which had a drop of blood uh, bound to a piece of paper that had the record there itself. There you I th- if you really think about this, what would they need? I mean, could this? Could they actually have? Think about an ark, Noah's ark. If they just had the the, the DNA, the information, DNA information, loaded onto a, a drive, a file that had everybody's DNA information. Is that not a form of arc? Well, they do. They, and think of all the things that, well, not on everybody, but anyone who's in any kind of part of the world where babies are born in hospitals, they have it all, don't they? They take blood. They, yes. they do all these things on both mother and baby. But I, when you started to describe, I'd forgotten about that Australian thing. I, I don't know when I first heard about that, but I don't know a lot about it. But that, what contract do you sign in blood? Does anyone remember when you go to the crossroads? <laughs> I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying, man, that's what it sounds like. Well, here, you, the last thing, I mean, I really want to just really nail down this idea about the placenta. A lot of people are really, uh, they have no idea what the placenta actually is. The placenta is a feto-maternal organ. In other words, it comes out and it has my DNA and my mom's DNA attached to it. They're not mixed. They never mix, but they are adjacent properties. So the organ, they, they make it sound like it's a singular organ, but it is, it is in fact not. It's my property up against my mom's property. If I know my godly origin from fertilization and I identify that origin by identifying my origin and not abandoning it through the claiming of an arbitrary birthday nine months later, I claim all the way back to the beginning, which removes, I'm not saying physically, but mentally and spiritually, it removes my DNA from the placenta or that biological deposit. By me acknowledging my godly origin, I have in effect removed my property, my DNA property from the placenta. Now all that's left is my mom's property in their possession, which is fine because I think that's, I think the church is claiming my mom's property anyway, Rome. So the placenta is a fetal maternal organ. If you look at that, feto is the baby, maternal is my mom. If you look at the idea of Jesus, and Mary, it's the same thing, because Jesus is the vessel, the extra embryonic material biologically, and Mary represents Mother Church. So again, Fito, me, maternal, my mom. Fito, Jesus, maternal, Mary. And medically, medically, and I'm, I'll get into this in a little bit, but medically, the same thing is Asclepius, the fetal property, Coronis, the maternal property. So when, if, if for some reason, somebody were able to remove the, the religious aspect of the economy, in other words, the, the full faith and credit, they would have to replace the religious deposit with a new form of deposit, even though it's the same material. What? The placenta is, hang on, one last thing. The placenta is detailed maternal, baby mom, Jesus, Mary, Asclepius, Coronis. So- Anyway, I, will, go ahead. I will point out a thing here, though. So for people who followed on when we were doing the foundational myth work, so people know something about why the world works the way it does, because these are the oldest stories we can see, and every other story has been based on it. Asclepius is truly associated with healing, real medicine, 
like here's a sick person, I will do everything I can and probably succeed at making them healthy again. Just to be clear, the symbol for that Asclepius is a wooden staff with a single serpent. And it looks like a very kind of, you know, old wooden staff, nothing fancy about it. What we got was Mercury with the Caduceus. All right. That's about a whole other set of things. That's about tricksters, money, business, all these other ideas. But what most people don't realize is Asclepius's mother, and I'd have to look it up. She's either half god, uh, goddess or full goddess. I don't remember which. I think partial maybe. Um, her name is Coronis, C-R-O-N-I-S. But I would suggest that maybe this is part of the separation. Because while we should have gotten Asclepius, which is truly concerned with healing, and his mother truly is Coronis, what we got was Mercury. You see where I'm going here, Kurt? Absolutely. Yeah. And and guess what? The surgeon general doesn't use the staff of, as you say, Asclepius, Asclepius. The surgeon general of the United States uses the caduceus. Which is everyone right now. I mean, I, maybe we should just do it. Well, I'll, I'll let everyone else do it. Look up the idea of the caduceus and Mercury. And by the way, when you say Mercury in this world, there are so many different variations. Are you talking about the goddess? Are you talking about alchemy? If you're talking about alchemy, there's a, a thousand Mercuries that get used in different ways to mean different things. My main point is look up the Caduceus and look up the god Mercury and what he is god of. You will find the crossroads, hint, hint, hint. You will find tricks. You will find commerce. You'll find all these things, but nowhere will you find what you find under Asclepius, which is actually the idea to heal a sick person. And again, the real one, Asclepius, and don't forget, his mother is Coronis. Two things about that. Number one is the trickster, Mercury and all that, is connected to Pan. Right. And so this, this new pandemic is based upon Asclepius and Coronis. And, and, and I got to interrupt again because Pan is completely <laughs> analogous to the Baphomet. If you go, if you go back to the older alchemical definitions, when there wasn't an idea of an evil devil and all these things, the Baphomet meant symbolize these other things. As it moved up into the church area, the Baphomet was used to supposedly bring the Knights Templar to their knees, which is a bit laughable because it only happened in one country. There were more Templars than that. My point is, is that when you look at the Baphomet, which seems to have been first come above you know, where we could see it was with the Knights Templar. It was all these alchemical ideas being encoded that was used to say, hey, man, they're worshiping the devil and all these things. But to be perfectly clear, there's a direct correlation to Pan and the Baphomet symbol. And it's not what you think. So if you're already thinking Satan burning you in hell, that's not the idea. But you still don't understand if you don't understand that association. Okay, Kurt, we're, we're coming down to it. We have to come in at under an hour because we run on other radio stations and they have to put a thing or two in the file. So, Jason, anything you want to add in before I wrap up 228 hour one? No, I'm looking forward to see where Kurt takes this. At every time, man, <laughs> your, your brain feels battered and bruised um, when you start to realize that there's something to this and it's diabolical and it is separated from nature. It's maybe the definition of evil. And in my eyes, what we're covering here, the trap that was set 
when you come through the birth canal or the port of entry, that's to me the definition of evil and ungodliness and non-perfection. But that does bring the first hour of 228 to a close. Join us all over at crow777radio.com for hour two, where we have free speech. Uh, that is C-R-R-O-W 777radio.com. That is the only real Crow site in the world. And there are fraud ones trying to defame, doing bad things, trying to steal money, all kinds of stuff they're up to. So the only true site is Crow777radio.com. Join us. The second hour will probably be a barn burner. It usually is when we have Kurt. There it is, man. Cheers. <laughs>